Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's start with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we open your word, help us not to take this for granted. We're we're going to talk about some people this morning who were overwhelmed to receive some word from God, a scripture that they could have in their own hands. Father, we now hold the scripture in our hands. I pray it may find its place of rest in our hearts. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you remember those red letter words? Do you? They challengingly and succinctly summarize virtually everything that Jesus taught. We carefully examined them all last year, 2021, as we spent the entire year in a sermon series that we called Red Letter Living, going through 52 statements made by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to direct our lives, to inform us. And yet all of them, all of them could be caught up in that singular statement that we looked at on one of those Sundays, be perfect, Jesus said, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If we are that, we'll be everything else that he talked about, won't we? However, we need to remind ourselves, unless some of you are newer to us today and are getting a little bit panicky, what's this church expecting of me? What kind of stuff is Pastor Mark talking about? We know, we went over it again and again last year, that Jesus was not directing us to be sinlessly perfect, was he? Can't be that, you're right. Can't be done. As long as we're in this fallen world, as long as we carry around a fallen nature, why even the Apostle Paul said, There are times the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do at all, I find myself doing. So if Paul was admitting he was not sinlessly perfect, we shouldn't even pretend that we might be. That's not what Jesus was saying, be sinlessly perfect. Only God, only the Son of God come to earth was sinlessly perfect. And so as we discuss that word that Jesus used, perfect, we came to understand what what it really meant. That Greek word that Matthew used in that verse is the word teleos, which means be complete, be mature, be a finished product, something that the designer can be pleased with. Mature, complete. 
We spent all last year learning from the mouth of Jesus himself just what such a finished product, spiritually speaking, looks like. It was quite a year. I hope none of us forget any of those messages that we find in the New Testament written in red ink. That should be a year that just stands apart and that we review from time to time. Now this year, this year we're going to sit at the feet of one to whom Jesus, I believe, personally passed the teaching baton. One who would pick up that command of Jesus, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, and apply it to numerous real-life situations. The types of situations, circumstances, that the earliest believers encountered. The types of circumstances that we believers still encounter today. Now these, let me tell you, These are the kind of circumstances that as we as Christians encounter them, they're the ones we might commonly say will either make us or break us. They're critical. The way we handle them can cause us to go in one direction or another direction. They're significant moments in our lives. They're the kind of things that the Holy Spirit knew himself pays special attention to as we seek to keep in step with him. These are the kind of things that have the possibilities of making us pleasing and honoring to our Heavenly Father. Because he's the one whose family resemblance we are to display in this world. Now the one at whose feet we're going to sit for a while is none other than Jesus' own earthly brother, James. The scripture that we're going to examine is the little tiny New Testament book. It's only four pages in in my Bible, five relatively short chapters. We're going to examine that little book that bears his name, the book of James. Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, that's the order They're in almost to the end of the New Testament. Now the title of this series of messages will be On to Perfection. Let me hear you say that. On to Perfection. How many of you felt a little guilty just saying that, letting that word come out of your mouth? Like like that's an unachievable but not if we understand what perfection in God's mind really is, is it? It's, it? But it's still not easy. It's something that has to be accomplished. But this year, as we read through the book of James, we're going to be pursuing, and it won't take all year, this journey on to perfection. Jesus fired the starter's gun, and now we're in the race to actually get there. So in other words, let's get on with what Jesus commanded. So, in this introductory message today, see, I didn't want to start right out too much in the book because I want to tell you this morning, take next week and read the whole book. How many pages did I say it is in my Bible? Four. That is amazing. Any third grade teacher would be thrilled to have that kind of feedback. Most college professors would. Only four pages. 
five chapters. Read the whole thing. And just note things that you think are going to be especially zeroed in on as we go through. But today, as we introduce our subject, we have three key introductory questions. You have them on your sheet right there in front of you. All the answers are there. There's no blanks to fill in, so just kind of listen and read and, and go along with us. Question one. What do we know about James, the earthly brother of Jesus? I would imagine there's at least some in this room, maybe a number in this room, who didn't even know Jesus had a brother. Any brothers, let alone a brother named James. But I want us to begin by thinking about the dynamics of what would it mean to be James? Now, of course, Jesus was the older brother in the family. He was the firstborn of his mother. He was a miraculous baby, we know that. But Mary and Joseph then had other naturally born children and being raised together, they were all just brothers and even a couple of girls there as well. So think about this. Let's try to come to understand or, or sympathize with James a little bit. What would it have been like to grow up in the same household with Jesus as your older brother? The older brother who could do nothing wrong, never did anything wrong. When they went through Hebrew school, you came two, one or two years after him, and every teacher expected you to be as smart as your older brother, as well-behaved as your older brother. Oh, are you Jesus' brother, sister? Well, I'm expecting a lot out of you. Never had a student like him. What would have that been like? What would it be like to sit around the, the dinner table and, and regularly hear the stories over and over and over again about the angels and the shepherds and the manger and the wise men? Why, every Christmas they had to hear it over and over. Ah, took a little while there. The blessing in the temple, the escape into Egypt, followed by the relatively normal family life in this out-of-the-way place called Nazareth. James grew up in that family. And let me tell you, from what we know in the scripture, like a lot of kids today who are raised in fine Christian families and are immersed in biblical truth from childhood, James didn't buy it. In John chapter 7, verse 5, we read this. Even his, that is Jesus' own brothers, that would certainly include James, wouldn't it? Even Jesus, even his own brothers, did not believe in him. And you want to say, how could they not? How could they not? They had Mary, their mother, telling the story, even after their father had passed away, telling the story, the things she'd treasured in her heart. They had Jesus watching him live this life that they could never match, but how could they not believe in him? But the scripture says they, they didn't. That's where they started. James didn't believe. Raised in the same family. 
taught all the same stuff, but at least he didn't believe in them, in him. Might believe in the God of Abraham. I'm sure he did. But he didn't buy all this about his brother, Jesus. However, something dramatically changed James. Because it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that following Jesus' ascension into heaven, it says they, now that would be the 11 disciples. Judas was no longer part of the group, and they hadn't yet filled his place. So they, the 11 disciples, all joined together constantly in prayer. This is after Jesus ascended to heaven, and they're awaiting what Jesus had promised the Spirit himself. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, she gets special designation there, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with his brothers. They were part of the bunch. Earlier, they didn't believe in him. Now they're part, the book of Acts will tell us they, there's actually a group of 120 that believed in Jesus upon whom the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and Jesus' brothers were part of that group. Certainly that included James. Something had happened to all of them. Something had certainly happened to James. Now, that dramatic something that changed James is referred to by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is telling them all about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. He's telling them that Jesus rose from the dead. They weren't there to see it. They weren't living in the land. These are Gentiles. And Paul is telling them the gospel the same way that you and I would tell somebody the story of of Christ's resurrection. And then Paul says, and he was seen after his resurrection by this one and that one and this one and 500 at one time. And in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, and then he that is, Jesus, appeared to James. A special one-on-one appearance. Paul has also said in that passage that he appeared to Simon. Well, we know how badly Simon Peter needed to just be readjusted from his agony and defeat to, to have the Lord accept him back, forgive him, all of that. He appeared to Simon But Paul says, and then he, Jesus, appeared to James and makes special mention of it. You see, no longer at that point could James doubt or dismiss the significance of his older sibling. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Jesus was standing there in a a glorified form. He was truly the Son of God, the resurrected Savior of the world. And as a result, James became a prominent leader of the church that formed in Jerusalem. Paul, in fact, gave to James top billing, and he truly honored him with this statement in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, 
Paul's talking about a trip he took back to Jerusalem to report on the great work God was doing among the Gentiles. And Paul says, James, first one he mentions, James, Peter, and John. But we think anybody, you go through the book of Acts, Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John. But Paul puts James before he mentions Peter and John. He mentions them right next. But he mentions James first as a significant person. And here's what he says about them. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, pillars of the church. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they were legitimizing Paul and Barnabas as true servants of God. They extended to them the right hand of fellowship as in brother, welcome. And Paul was impressed that along with Peter and John, James accorded him that recognition. Now, when Peter was rescued from prison, remember that time? Peter was in jail, and at night an angel came and hit him on the shoulder, and the chains fell off, and the door came open, and and Peter was just led right out of the prison. Right out of the prison. And he went to a home, John Mark's home, where some folks were praying for him. And when Peter got to them, before he went into hiding from King Herod, who had put him in prison... Peter says this to the household of John Mark. It's recorded in Acts chapter 12, verse 16. He says to the people, tell James. First one. Tell James and the brothers, the rest of the believers, all about this. What God has done. How God sent an angel to rescue me. Tell, be sure James knows this. Then we come to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, all of the early apostles and believers and significant leaders, elders, they were all called together for a discussion, a council, we would call it, in Jerusalem to decide how is it that born-again Jews and born-again Gentiles fit together into one church of Jesus Christ. Do Gentiles really have to become Jews in order to be saved? Some thought so. Paul was preaching not. And so they come together for a a major theological discussion to determine what is God's truth. How is the Spirit working in this world? What is... And so it was a major, major time, and Peter spoke, and others spoke. And then we come to verse 13 of Acts chapter 15, and James stands up, the scripture says, and he says, brothers, listen to me. Listen to me. And in verse 19, after James has said quite a few things, he then says, it is my judgment, therefore. See, those are words spoken by one who has been entrusted with the Lord's leadership. That's who and what James, the brother of the Lord, became. Just one more. When Paul made his final visit to Jerusalem, 
Luke reports, Luke who wrote the book of Acts, he reports in Acts 21.18, he says, Paul and the rest of us, Luke was now traveling with Paul, so that's why he says us, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. And all the other elders were present. James. 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 The brother of the Lord. The earthly brother of the Lord. They, they understood that Jesus had been divinely conceived, and, but James had been raised in the same household with him. James had the same mother that Jesus had. They were brothers. See, once again, as Paul reports at the end of his active ministry, just before he's sent over to Rome, where he he kind of finishes up, Paul reported all the marvelous things God had done among the Gentiles, and and he says, and I first want to tell James about this. So based upon all that scriptural evidence, I draw this key introductory observation. James was top man in the Jerusalem church. He was appointed, no doubt, by Jesus himself. And he was recognized by all the early believers of being that that one, the elder over them. And the other apostles recognized him in that unique way. Without a doubt, James was indeed considered to be the the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so, I say all that to say this, when believers received a letter from him, the letter with James' name on the top of it, that letter would have been received as coming from one to whom the Lord Jesus Christ had given special authority and ministry. And that's the way I want us to view it. Question number two. When and to whom was the book of James written? Well, a little historical background here. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 records this. After that day, a persecution began. Well, what day? That was the day, if you read Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned to death for giving testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen was the first martyr of the church, and he was stoned to death with the Apostle Paul standing right there approving it. And then Luke writes, after that day, A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered, fled for their lives. So when James is writing his letter in the very first verse, chapter 1, verse 1, James says, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. You see, the persecution under King Herod began in A.D. 44. That was perhaps 15 years after the day of Pentecost. 
and it made the book of James very likely one of the first, if not the first, New Testament book written. And so in the book of James, written by the earthly brother of the Lord, the leader of the Jerusalem church, we come face to face with the practices and perspectives of first century Christianity. Now, since Old Testament days, Jews had been scattered throughout the entire Mediterranean world. On the day of Pentecost, we read in the book of Acts chapter 2 that there were Jewish worshipers in Jerusalem from at least 15 different nations or provinces. It's all listed there, Acts chapter 2. They'd come from all over the world for this great Jewish festival. The 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost came from that mass of pilgrims. Well, in time, if 15 years or so had passed, over those years, many of those 3,000 had returned to their own homes, carrying the gospel message with them. The persecution under King Herod greatly accelerated the spreading, the scattering of those gospel-bearing Jewish believers. Now people who had lived their whole lives in Jerusalem took off. And they went everywhere, anywhere they could. And James then realizes they need some instruction. Because, see, wherever they went, they would run into trouble. The Gentiles would not eagerly receive them because they were Jews. And the non-Christian Jews would not receive them because they were Christians. Theirs was not an easy lot. One time I taught a Sunday school class many, many years ago that uh, there's a few people in this room who were in that Sunday school class of young adults at the time, young couples. So that lets you know how long ago it was. We went through the book of Acts, and we got right to this point in our Sunday school discussion, and we postulated, what would it be like if persecution broke out in Apple Valley? Just like that. What if every single believer had to run for their lives? And we had a class of about 40, 45. I divided them into groups of, I don't know, six or seven, and said, now what I want you to do is to brainstorm where you're going to go. How are you going to live? Get to feel what these people were going. Would you give up your faith? That's what happened to them. They scattered wherever they could go, maybe where they had family already. But they were a, an oddball group in the world at that time. They were Jews. Gentile says, we know all about those Jews, want nothing to do with them. The Jews who were still practicing their faith said, these people are believing in that, that blasphemer Jesus that our leaders crucified. We want nothing to do with them. And so they they're pretty much on their own. Maybe little groups of them. But how do you get on with this brand new faith that you really don't understand that much about? 
You used to have all the apostles there with you every, every Sunday, every, you know, and they would lead things. And, and now the apostles stayed behind, James stayed behind, and you fled. What, what, what do you do now? How do you live this life? Do you just hang on by the skin of your teeth? Do you just hope maybe nobody notices you? Maybe if you say nothing about Jesus, you won't get into trouble? How do you handle this? As you're out there just trying to survive, you and your family. How many of them were really thinking, how can we grow in our faith? Most of them probably were just wanting to stay alive in this earth. And so to them, James writes, with a heart of compassion, with a hard understanding, the circumstance, with the commission, you could almost say, of the Lord Jesus Christ upon him. And he writes to the scattered believers, especially of the 12 tribes of Israel, because that's pretty much what they were, and what he was. And what's he going to say to them? Hang in there, the Lord will come sooner or later. What's he going to say to them? And so our third question, see, what would James write to these people who really didn't have probably that strong of a grip on the Christian life? And we're living in some desperate circumstances. We ask this question, what was James' purpose in writing? And I express it this way, to provide a pathway to perfection. A pathway to perfection. Just imagine you were living at some other part of the country and, uh, and you wanted to find a pathway to earthly perfection where life would be the better than it could be anywhere else, where your home could be nicer than, than you could afford anywhere else, that your job would be more satisfying and pleasing and it would be right next door and you wouldn't have to drive to get to it unlike anywhere else you've been, you want to find a pathway to earthly perfection and you say, it's Apple Valley. That's where I'm going to go. All those things are right there. But where's, Job, where's James going to send these people? Where is perfection for them? How do they get there? See, and... And that's why, that's what was on his heart. We'll see in a moment. And that's the main reason that we're following up our Red Letter Living series with this study of the book of James. Because whenever James would talk about Christian purpose, he would use the same Greek word that Numa used to translate, translate Jesus' word for perfection. Is that Greek word teleos. James uses it. That's what's on his mind, on his heart. That's why he's writing. We want to see perfection come. We want to see these people completed in their faith. We want to see these people becoming a finished product, a believer in Jesus Christ to the glory of God. It's like Jesus and his earthly brother James were on the same page. Now this morning, 
in this introductory message, let me just show you, give you a couple of examples of what I mean. Examples of James' purpose. First off, James chapter 1, verse 4. James writes this. It's only four verses in. Perseverance, that means hanging in there against difficulty, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Now, the old King James that was used for 300 years in the the Christian church actually translates the word mature by the word perfect. King James says, so that you may be perfect and complete. James chapter 2, verse 22. James is talking about Abraham and his model of faith. He says, if any, you see that his, that is Abraham's faith, was made complete, King James says, made perfect by what he did. James chapter 3, verse 2. James talking about one of the struggles that we have in life. He says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is, and here the NIV just gives in and uses the word, he is a perfect man. You see, James, just like Jesus, wanted every believer to be perfect, even as their heavenly Father is perfect. And in every one of those verses, it's the Greek word teleos. Teleos. Complete. Mature. A finished product, not just a struggling wannabe. We want you to be perfect in Christ. Well, it wasn't just to the believing Jews scattered among the nations that this purpose was shared, the Apostle Paul shared it. I'll jump out of the book of James just for a moment, but just let you know on what good standing James was and this book is as we prepare to study it. Here's what Paul wrote to the mostly Gentile Colossians. Paul shared his great ministry passion. It's like, why am I in this ministry? What am I trying to do? What is Christ's call upon me as a minister? And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, we read this. Paul says, we proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's like we, we don't let anything out. Anything we can possibly say that is true, we will say admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, here comes the purpose, we may present everyone perfect. Teleos, complete, mature in Christ. That's an incredible passage. You want to know something about Paul's heart. You read that passage and and remember it. That's why Paul was willing to be shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, hungry, thrown into prison because his desire was to see everyone perfect and for him actually to have a role in presenting them to God, to their Savior. Perfect, complete, fully grown up in Christ. Let me tell you, when I read that verse, it brings back a memory. I chose that passage for my text, or for the text, of my senior sermon 
in the preaching contest at Denver Seminary that was held in 1972. If you can even, some of you have to go to a history book. The message was titled, A Portrait of God's Minister, using that text. The very thing that all of us in that room were seeking to be, and it was my opportunity to to give a message that would apply to us all before we had even spent one minute being it. This This is what we should strive to be. This coming May of 2022 will mark the 50th anniversary of that day. It gives me great joy and it gives me a sense of fulfillment to be able to say today in this place that Sun Life Community Church shares James' purpose. Right on the back of your bulletin this morning, it says this, under the ways that Sun Life Community Church seeks to fulfill its purpose. The last one says this, Sun Life Community Church fulfills its mission by providing a clear pathway to guide a new believer from babe in Christ to mature disciple, to present everyone, every one of us, perfect in Christ, mature, And this we will seek to do week after week, year after year. And so we along, we today, along with James' initial readers, those long years ago, we come to this series question, key series question. How do? How do mature, that is perfected believers, handle themselves in this fallen, corrupted world? world. I know we can wake up every morning to some degree with that thought on our mind. How how would God have me handle myself today? I'm going to walk into this. How should I handle myself? I know you who have been with us the last few years say, don't handle yourself at all. Just let the Holy Spirit handle you. Well, you know, it is a partnership. He knows how to handle himself. He knows how we ought to be handled, but the scripture says we need to keep in step with him. That means we have a role to play in doing the things he nudges us to do and saying the things that that he puts the words in our mouth. And so still there's always a personal question, how should I handle myself in this situation? And that's really what the book of James is about. He goes through one after another situation and then telling these relatively young believers, still struggling with the whole idea that Gentiles should even be part of this thing. So that was a a big thing to handle. And he writes to them. And he tells them. And by the way, here's some of the topics that we're going to address. Now, maybe none of these apply to you, but as you read through them, as we see them here, as I mention them, you might want to just check the ones that you think might be somewhat relevant to your life. Number one, we'll just go through them fast. Some of the topics. How do mature believers view themselves? When I think about myself as a Christian, what do I think? How do I view myself? 
How do mature believers deal with, the tri- with life's trials and tribulations? Isn't it good to have none? How do mature believers relate to the people around them? How do mature believers handle ungodly and worldly desires? How do mature believers harness and handle anger? How do mature believers relate to God's word? How do mature believers assess their level of maturity? How do you know if you're making any progress toward perfection? How do mature believers understand true wisdom? How do mature believers define and avoid worldliness? How do mature believers view the future? How do mature believers deal with material things? How do mature believers learn to wait patiently? How do mature believers relate to the wayward? How do mature believers understand and employ prayer? And maybe we'll even find some others, but that's quite a list, isn't it? The people of James Day had to understand how to function in the midst of of every one of those situations that sooner or later come along. And they want to honor God. They want to live for Christ. They want to show that they are mature believers. And the way it's shown is by their, the way they handle these and even other situations that come along. Let me tell you, this series will not be filled with complicated or controversial theology. Go ahead, say, thank God for that. Not going to be filled. So I'm not going to preach stuff that says, boy, I'll tell you, I didn't know a thing he said, so I'm not responsible to apply anything. That was so deep, so deep. It's just good to know we go to a church where such depth is found. Now, it won't be like that. I don't think it ever has been like that. Not complicated or controversial theology, but this series will focus upon the easy to understand but difficult to carry out expectations of God's word. This series will provide for us a clearly defined pathway to perfection. It will encourage us to scale the height. If you look at the logo we kind of have there, it shows somebody trying to get to the top of that cliff, that mountain, that what Paul called the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And there are challenges, as any mountain climber would tell you. There's surprises. Every climb to the top is actually many, many smaller journeys from this point to this point to that point, and every one of them requires a, a special technique, a special understanding, a special giving of energy. But hopefully the book of James will encourage us to, to join in, to scale the heights, by overcoming every obstacle that gets in our way. And so our final thought says this, though maturity does not come automatically. Has anybody in here discovered that? It just doesn't come automatically, but it can be achieved. It can by every believer. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to actually bring us to that point. And so I say here, let's join Numa himself in saying, on to perfection. Amen?
Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's a lot of years since James picked up a pen, probably somewhat tremblingly, knowing his past, knowing all the years that he, he refused to see Jesus for who he really was. who refused to believe the things that that Jesus was calling people to do, namely, to follow him. And at this point, James, somewhat like the Apostle Paul, who would say, "I'm I'm the least of them all, for I persecuted the church, James could say, I'm really the least of all of these dear believers because for a long time I did not believe. And yet the resurrected Lord appeared to him. Appeared to him. And in some way communicated to him that he would be chosen. He would be used in spite of his past. And I have no doubt James was on his knees in front of the resurrected Lord even as the Apostle Paul would be one day. And as he picked up that pen, He said, oh God, help me. For all these people who will receive this letter are in most desperate situations. All of them are living in a fallen, broken world. All of them have memories of of sinful behaviors and thoughts and deeds. And some of them are still plagued by those very same things. Oh God, help me by your Spirit to to say the word in such a way that they can take it into their life, that your spirit can use it and and they can be changed. They can come to fulfillment, to maturity, yes, to perfection. Father, that's what we desire for us in this room right here, for all who are watching in, for all of the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it's found, that perfection in Christ might become a in-this-world experience. For we ask it now in Jesus' name and for the sake of His church. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.